0: And welcome to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. I'm Sarah Pittentrig, a mum, award-winning entrepreneur, cancer survivor, mentor, and coach. In series two of the podcast, we're sharing new stories along with the ethos that you're never too old and it's never too late to design a life you love. Today, I'm joined by fabulous Joanna Feely, future expert and chief executive of Trend Bible, who forecasts the future of life and home across her career as a trend forecaster spanning more than 20 years joe has advised retailers brands charities investors and governments all over the world Her insights have been featured in publications including the independent financial times and radio 4. the purpose of joe's work is to help companies make meaningful change by using trends for good she has won multiple awards including recently creative entrepreneur of the year at the prestigious great british entrepreneur awards I'm looking forward to hearing more about Joe's work and the ethos in this podcast. Before we do, please can I ask you to rate and subscribe to the Formidable Over 40 podcast so I can keep sharing more inspirational stories. So good morning, Joe. Good morning. So I've given a little bit of an intro there to our listeners about you, but it would be absolutely wonderful if you would share a little bit about yourself and your business with them.
1: I certainly will. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I live in Newcastle with my husband and my two boys, my two sons and our dog. Um, I'm one of four girls, so I've uh, got three sisters and I'm a chief exec, founder and chief exec of Trend Bible, which is what takes up most of my time, um, where we forecast future trends for retailers and brands and help them predict what's going to happen, how people are going to think and Feel and what they're going to do in the future, up to five years ahead. So um, it it chimes really well with my sort of personal traits. I'm an ideas person, as you are, Sarah. I know that. Um, So I, you know, have ideas all the time. And being a trend forecaster is the perfect career for me because I'm constantly thinking, well, why did that happen, and why is this happening, and what does this Mm. chain of events lead to, and where, you know, I'm always kind of pulling the thread of curiosity on things. I do that very naturally, and. And that's what trend forecasters actually do. I can always spot a a good trend forecaster at 50 paces because they are ideas people and they're they're really curious. And so because of that, my brain's permanently switched on to things. And Mm -hmm. so the rest of my time I spend trying to, let's just say, I I would say sort of active meditations. I do things that get me a little bit of time back for myself. I love spending time on my own when I can. I think because I'm so busy in in my household and in my work life. So um, I like to go to the gym. Um, I love sort of fitness stuff. I like to get out on my bike. Um, I love Reiki. I love doing Pilates. Anything really that is kind of relaxing and mindful but can sort of help me get away from all of these, these permanent ideas that seem to occur to me
0: and i think in the in the sort of role that you you're doing you know you you're a ceo of a of a very busy and very creative a, a, agency in in industry and i think that time isn't it it's so important for, for in the olden days i because i'm old and ancient i can remember that the 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 sort of um, the measurement was how early you got into your your, your office and we're sat in the desk it was like this this sort of elbows at the door of who could get in first and then it was sort of looking around the the room to see who was actually going to dare to go home and there was just no space for the growth thinking you know and I think what you know what you're saying there about all of these wonderful things you do such as your Reiki, your pilates and that time that quality time that you're spending on your own I I think that I think well, you're 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 the trend forecast that you know, but I, I feel like the tide's changing. Do you do you feel like that, Joe? Do yeah, you see
1: that? I do. I do, and I'm I'm pleased to see. It. I mean there's there's still, you know, if you if you believe what you read on sort of LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that, there's still plenty of evidence to suggest that lots of um, lots of um employers want people to go back full time to the office and, and to work a five day week, nine till five. But actually I think Mm. I run my business completely differently to that, and I've always afforded myself, well, as much as possible. Certainly, in the last sort of seven or eight years of running my business, I've always afforded myself the luxury of what I set the business up for in the first place, which is time to mm. give myself the time mm-hmm. to do the stuff that I want to do. And I, I fight for that really hard because you you do have to say no to to a lot of things, even things you would actually mm. quite like to do, but that when they roll around, yeah. there's just too there's too much to do. So yeah. I think probably the time of founders carving out that time for themselves is now. But I'd like to think Mm. that as founders, particularly female founders, that we then afford that luxury to the staff that work for us as well, who also crave that kind of flexibility. Um, So I I do think we're in a a sort of a a tide of change on that. And I think there's a really big difference, if I'm honest, between the way a lot of male-focused chief executives run their businesses and female-focused ones do, because a lot of women who, Mm. particularly women who are mothers, can really feel the burden of 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 motherhood and family life alongside workload and it's it's a lot when you're working five days a week and you're trying to squeeze all of your family time and all of your responsibilities into into the time that fits around that so I'm a real big fan of the idea that work is like the foundation for a better life and I think that phrase should be as expansive Mm. as you can possibly make it it should be a better life in terms of it takes you somewhere Either academically or inspirationally, that you wouldn't go without that job or that role, but it also can take you some, it allows you to do stuff that you want to do in your life that might be mm. outside of what you've trained to do as a job.
0: Because otherwise, what's it all about?
1: Exactly. What, what is, is it all about? about? Yeah.
0: Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because, uh, yeah. you know, this is the thing that, you know, I, I see it quite a, a bit through my mentoring, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the tail should not be wagging the dog. Otherwise, what, you know, what was it all, what was it all about? And I think that can yeah. be lost, can't it? It can be lost in the, and, and I do understand, you know, I've founded a, a number of businesses myself, and I understand that, you know, at that startup stage, there's a lot of juggling going on. And and yeah. with all the best will in the world, you know, we've got the other extreme, haven't we, on, on social media, where we've got people telling us you can build a seven-figure business while you're sat on a beach drinking cocktails in Bali. But, you know, which which, hey, fantastic if you can get it. And I always say, if if you've done it, please get in touch with me because I want to interview you. I want to interview you because my listeners want to know what this magic is that you, you've got because you need to share it, you know. But So I think there is that point, isn't there, where it, you do have the juggle you know as as a mom you're juggling home you're juggling your kids you're trying to build your business you're you're putting your kids to bed and then you're trying to work while they're asleep and you're trying to do stuff before they get up so i know you you do have that don't you so how 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 do you um you know how did you sort of find that there was that sweet spot when did you find that sweet spot in your business where i mean you've managed to sort of carve that time for yourself
1: I think you have to be vigilant about it, and I've spoken to you about this before. There's times when you kind of for, you forget how to do it, or you think you're going kind to of get caught mm. up in. I'm just having a busy week, so I'm just going to put my all into it. I'm going to have to work some late nights, and I'm just doing emails late one night, and then before you know it, it's two nights you're up till midnight, and then you know halfway through mm. the week you're really exhausted, but you you plow you're just going to plow on. So I think yeah. there's kind of no such thing as cracked it with lots of these Mm. things actually with any you know we all have our weaknesses we all have our sort of um areas where we're likely to fall into those traps um I mean mine is is I don't say no to nearly enough things and last Mm. year I set myself a little system up because I work really well if I create a system and I said I was going to say no to six things a month and god it was so difficult because I get asked to do things that I would love to do go and speak to school children or help yeah. you know, emerging entrepreneurs, stuff that I, I can see the value in, but that isn't going to deliver back to my business in any significant way yeah. if I do too much of it. So I have to put barriers in place for that. And last year, every month, I would say, right, you know, I've got to say no to six things and it would be excruciating, but I did it. And so this year I thought I don't need to have that routine anymore because I've learned how to say no. And lo and behold, yeah. you know, I've had probably three weeks at the start of this year where I signed up to stuff that um, – You know, it was my weakness is people will ask me to do things months or years in advance. And because my calendar looks clear, I'll just say yes, because there's no reason Mm -hmm. not to say yes from a calendar perspective. But actually, by the yeah. time that rolls around, there are other things I need to be doing. So it's having respect mm. for the future me. Ironically enough, when I'm a trend forecaster, but having respect for the future me that is going to ha- will have a busy schedule that week. Um, yes. So th- those are the kinds of techniques I put in place because I think you have to be vigilant. I think you can learn things about yourself and then unlearn them quite quickly. It takes quite a bit of practice to get new mm. behaviours alive in your business, and it's the same with overworking and overcommitting to work. Um, It can be very tempting. You know, I had a a member of staff off last week and I said, oh, I'll just, you know, I've got those skills as a trend forecaster. I'll just jump in and help. And on day three or four, and I was enjoying it, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying Uh getting back sort of on the tools and into the work. But that's not really, you know, somebody isn't running the business if I'm Mm -hmm. meddling in um, the trend forecasting. So. It's just being vigilant, holding yourself accountable to things, recognizing when you're going off path. Um, I think in the last three weeks, I've managed two days a week in work fully, um, because even working from home with little ones is extremely difficult to get a full day's work in. So that I'm aware that that is it it sort of tips me out of balance. But I'm a lot kinder to myself when that happens now. I think previously I would have thought, you know, I need to get caught up. There's things I, I didn't do last week. I've got to do this week. And actually what I say to myself now is what was important is that I'm being the kind of mum I want to be and I'm not bundling my kids yeah. off in a dangerous situation and sending them to school when they're struggling. I'm being first and foremost the mum that I want to be and I can go on and yeah. be the the chief exec, the founder I want to be another day. It's not it's not so pressing. So I'm probably a lot kinder to myself than I used to be. And I think that's sometimes where that desire to like overwork comes from is just yeah. the pressure and lots yes. of, of CEOs and founders are like that. It's kind of what's helped us get where we are is that ability to kind of thrive under intense pressure, but if you can't do that long-term. It, it does have consequences, no. unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely right. It really doesn't. It's, it's about learning to be present in that present, isn't it? So when you're being the mum, it's about being the present mum. And when you're being the CEO, being the present CEO. And, you know, and that takes time to, to mould, really, doesn't it? And time to to let go of the guilt because guilt, it's a guilt thing as well. I don't know if you found that, but as a, as a mom and a founder, and it would be like, you know, guilt of not being at home as a mom and then guilt at not being present in the business. And I think it gets to a point where you just have to, you you kind of just have to set those boundaries to be good at everything and to, to do it as well as you can. It's to just to be, allow yourself to let go So that when you're in mum mode, you're being the present mum. And when you're in CEO mode, being the present CEO and knowing that by just being present in those moments, not everything is going to fall around around your ears because you've got to have confidence in yourself that you've actually put those structures in place to ensure that it doesn't. Two
1: segments of the overall pie, as well, aren't they? I mentioned before about, yes. you know, I love Pilates. I try and do that twice a week, and Reiki, and you know, going to the yeah. gym. Like those are things that, like, that I like to be able to do. That is time for me, but they're the first things that fall mm-hmm. out. They're the first things. Anything that you are yeah. doing for yourself, because family life and the business are the two main priorities. And so that is why I'm so strict about mm-hmm. making sure that in any given week, I've got those things sort of scheduled in so that I know that I'm going to have a little bit of time back just for the um, the space for the mental clarity, I think, as well, and just to sort of wind mm-hmm. down from it. So, yeah, it's um, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs>
0: it's not easy, but recharging your batteries means, means you know, and this is what, what um, I think people forget. And it's the, the importance of remembering that you are a someone, not just a someone's. Because by by focusing on being the someone and doing these valuable things that you're doing for yourself, you know, they are, they are the really important things because they're the things that are actually charging your battery, aren't they? And by doing that, you're then in that position to be the best you can be in all those other roles that you have to perform in your life. You know,
1: I think there's definitely times in my life mm. where I've thought, well, I just need to be independent and crack on and handle these things and do it all on my own. And actually, the most powerful thing you can do in those situations is ask for help. And I'm really, I don't know about you, but I'm really bad at asking for help. I have to really be at at rock bottom to kind of go, can you just can someone help me either with the kids or with work stuff so I think that sort of vulnerability is good for everybody to see to know that you don't just easily shoulder the burden it does have a pressure on you and I think even just you know making sure I mean you know I'm constantly thinking about how female founders balance this you know family life especially if they're mothers with um, work life and it does come down to you know, having a partner that can contribute significantly at home to allow you to do what you need to do. And and those are difficult conversations still, even here we are in 2023, people still struggling to sort of have those conversations and um, understand what 50-50 actually looks like. So, you know, I I was never good at having those conversations and asking for that support and help and I'm much better at it now. Because uh, that's that's what it takes. That is, you know, you, you need to be able to step away from some of those commitments at times and share share the burden and responsibility if you can with other family members. Yeah,
0: yeah I think I think I also look at it. It could be a bit of a double edged sword going on here because like, there's a one side of it where it's freedom. And it's very interesting um, working with a number of my founders and CEOs of why they feel they need to be free. You know, so so there's often been a motivation which runs quite deep as to why they felt they needed financial freedom, why it was so important to them. But that would be a a book and a story for a another day, you know. But there's also another um, a layer maybe which is about our natural instinct as women to be nurturers and to take responsibility. Whereas if you know we, I don't know, I, I, you can't speak generally, but but many maybe feel that their job is to nurture and make sure everything's okay and to 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 be the one who's responsible for for everything being right you know and and therefore they take on so much and so much to the point that they get to where they say that's it yeah it probably doesn't it probably doesn't come from a terrible place I
1: like think it comes from a place of love and yeah. wanting to do the best mm-hmm. for people but sometimes you you can't do everything you think you might you know you can't remove all of the um the the fear in the world or the insecurity in the world yeah. for your loved ones like you have to let them uh-huh. go out there and and feel those things for themselves as as we all would have done and are doing yeah. so there's definitely there's you're, you're right i think and I, I do sort of also think that we are socially conditioned to think that women are more nurturing than men, but actually I, mm-hmm. there's no sort of biological evidence to suggest that they are, I don't no. think. Mm-hmm. Um, so no. I think we're socially conditioned to think that that is, that, that is a, a woman's role inside of a family. But again, mm-hmm. I think that's starting to change. I see some amazing examples mm-hmm. of fathers, both inside my business and the, the entrepreneurs that I meet, amazing examples of mm-hmm. fathers that yeah. are really nurturing. And I think, I'd like to think that you know by the time my kids are old enough, and in their twenties that they're they're not questioning whether yeah. they're as nurturing as a as a mother could be because i do I do think it's probably mm-hmm. something we're told and have, have have seen in previous generations and have learned but yeah. it's probably not strictly true
0: well, I totally agree with you one hundred percent so I want to ask you about formidable over forty, so I created this podcast because there's two sides to, to why i've created this podcast so one is that i want midlife women to feel free to speak up yeah and 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 share their fascinating stories and their vulnerabilities and feel that you know they've got so much such a wealth of knowledge to share through the decades yeah the layer upon layer upon layer through the decades that's that's been hunted and gathered to to share with others who may be feeling stuck. And we're living in a world where often through social media, life's portrayed as perfect, and therefore you know people can often feel inadequate, insecure. They they're the not enough, you know. And what and and often as well, they can look at people's ne- near to destination. You know, look at midlife women who are running businesses getting ready to exit you know and, and it can look all very nice and 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 safe and, and secure and, and and wonderful and but they haven't actually seen the journey and i think it's the journey getting to that destination that's really important and i want to share it to show that it is absolutely fine to have bumps in the road and i think more so not just for the mid-lifers but for the next generation coming on, who have who been brought up around this uh, social media, which is very high on everything's re- perfect, you know, and if you're not perfect, you're not enough. And we know that that's just not true. So that is a lot of the ethos behind Formidable Over 40. What would you say Formidable Over 40 means to you? Well, all, all of that, I think.
1: I think... Um... You know, I'm 47 and I've loved my 40s. I think there's real value in being in your 40s. And I speak to friends who are in their 50s and they say it's even better. You know, so I think there's something about the way that midlife is framed up. Quite recently, actually, you know, in the last two to three years, Mm. I think there's been a real shift in the visibility of women over 40. And, Mm. you know, there was an increase in the amount of women who are, Who've who've stopped dyeing their hair and are going grey naturally, and you know there's mm. a kind of new movement for women over forty to to naturally be whatever over forty means. And I think it does mean an increase in confidence and a sureness and a certainty about who you are and what you are, and an embracing of the flaws that you you've still got. Of course, life mm. isn't perfect when you're mm. over forty. Um, so I think it's it's an exciting time for younger women to look. At women in their forties, fifties, and beyond, and see some really mm-hmm. strong, visible examples of what life can look like. Because I don't remember. I mean, when I was sort of in my early twenties, it was all about youth culture, and you know, my mm. role as a trend forecaster. I worked in fashion before I set up my own agency, and it was always about you know, make sure that we're in a beef there where at the time it was full of young clubbers, and we had to go and see what they were wearing, and sort of. Um, forecast trends based on what young teenagers were doing, even if it was to inform clothing for older women. So, you know, there there was always this focus on youth being this kind of um, golden era that everybody else aspired to and subscribed to. And I've really seen that change. I think there's a lot, still a lot of work that needs to be done there. I still think there are you know, there's not a a significant enough portion of brands or companies that understand older women and see what they need and want, but we're getting there. You know, Mm. even up until maybe five or six years ago, I didn't even see a woman in a car advert unless she was a passenger. You know, she was there to be the eye candy. She wasn't there because she had the spending power to buy that car. And we're only just, Mm. I mean, there's only really a handful of of ads that are like that still now that demonstrate and show us this example of, of what women can be so the I mean we all consume a certain type of social media online and so maybe the stuff that I'm consuming allows me maybe I've sort of filtered out all of the noise but what I choose mm. to see and what I can definitely see is a selection of women 40 plus 50 plus 60 plus and beyond that really inspire me and uh, make me realize it's a good time to be over 40 I think it's the best time
0: yeah and i think the brands have got to waken up because we are the super spenders you know it's, it's proven forbes did a um, a piece on us being the super consumers you know and i'm sure there's a stat out there and i'll, I'll have to double check it but i do believe that the midlifers lifers uh, outspend the 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 younger generation by 250% and I and imagine. i think it's a, um you know and as i say it's a it's a it's a gap that the the they're, they're really missing out on um it's you know there's there's so
1: much more than just capture the the, ex- mm. the expenditure capture the pound the midlife pound um yeah. that's not it's, yeah. it can't just be about that and i think if brands do do that then that they're going to get it wrong if they mm. think it's just about taking money yeah. off women that have got money i think they um
0: yeah.
1: they have to get it right in terms of the ethics the morals the the struggles mm. the pain points that women over 40 still have and and really fully understanding that we we know lots of organisations, not just brands and retailers, but lots of organisations yeah. still get that get that completely wrong, don't they? So yes, yeah, yeah, there's, there's still there's still a long way to go, but I I'm optimistic for
0: sure. Yeah, it's it's going to swing around. So going back to when you were say 15, what was what was Joanna's dreams and and what were our hobbies? What were you doing?
1: Oh wow! Well, when I was 15, so I was 15 in 1990, which i just think back to it now i mean teenagers are really hard my son's 14 now so i was kind of thinking about you know he's just coming into this sort of age that i'm thinking back to now um i was really um strong-willed i was quite a quiet hmm. teenager quite a, i'd been a very sort of shy and quiet child but very sort of strong-willed very determined i always knew really what i wanted to do um And so I probably was, you know, the oldest of four girls probably set in a terrible example for three younger siblings. It must have been awful for my parents. But my what I loved and what I remember most from that time is my sort of, you know, I lived in a small uh, rural village in Northumberland, but my sort of culture picture was so much bigger than that. And I always, you know, I loved to watch. I remember being 15. I think I ordered my first university prospectus when I was 15 and it was for a university in California. And it just arrived in the post. My parents were thinking. What do you, like, what is going on? You know, where have you got that from? I mean, I probably just watched a little bit too much Beverly Hills 90210 or something like that, you know. But, yeah, I loved, like, the, the clothes show. I used to watch these TV shows and just soak yeah. up and absorb culture, music. Um, I spent all, I had a little, I always had a part-time job from the, to my 14th birthday, but I used to save up for hair dye and cl- I'd save for, like, two or three weeks for a T-shirt from Topshop. Um, secondhand Levi's like it was just I was all I didn't know that I was going to end up being a fashion designer I didn't know that I could be a fashion designer I probably didn't even realize it was a real job Um, but I just had a life filled with I I just could see all these sparkly exciting things and it was the time of the supermodels so it was all about you know Mm -hmm. Naomi and Christy and Linda Evangelista and all that kind of stuff I used to save up for magazines and cut them all out and stick their pictures together in collages and really when I look back now that was the start point of me really starting to get in get under the skin of the fashion industry and and it it took a while after that for someone to say to me do you realize that fashion design is a a legitimate career and it it can be done yeah um and that didn't happen really till I was studying my a-levels when I picked art and graphic design that a teacher Brilliant teacher who was only with us for a few weeks, but she said to me, Why don't you tailor one of your projects around fashion? Um, and yeah, yeah, that was that was really where it all sort of ignited for me all of this sort of cultural excitement. It just really, I just loved all of it. Um, I knew there was something Mm -hmm. around culture and the way that people behaved. And you know, my job now as a trend forecaster is about social science and and tribes and groups of people and what makes somebody change their mind one day and wear a color they've never worn before or um you know decorate their home in a particular way or you know it's or or buy a drink they've never bought before or change Mm -hmm. their laundry powder all of those are the decisions that are made not just because you walk into a store or click on an ad online and just change the way that you behave there there are all sorts of interesting little pathways through and influences you know our taste and our values and our attitudes are all shaped in really particular ways and that's my job as a trend forecaster is to is to braille all of that information and start to formulate a picture of of what that future is going to look like but I I can see the glimmers of it now. If I look back at me, age 15, buying my hair dye and, Mm. you know, um, saving up for weeks on end for magazines to cut up. That's what that was. It was this wanting to understand what modern culture actually was.
0: That was a seed that was planted.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was in in a village in Northumberland. Wild yeah, ambitions. And a
0: village In Northumberland and look where it's taken me. I mean, it's been yeah. absolutely fascinating, Joe, and it's been absolutely wonderful from someone who's known you for, for quite a while to, to stand back and actually watch how you've evolved as a CEO and how your business has evolved. I mean, you, you, you to, you're, you're an absolute inspiration. And it was even more wonderful, which we'll come to later on to watch you receive that award in London back in December there. It was um very, very much deserved. Um, So if we, I mean, Tell tell the listeners who who don't know how how did you what was the journey of of to get to founding Trend Bible so where where were you and how did you come to to found this fantastic business that you've got today?
1: So um, when I, I went to I did go to university and study fashion design. Um, you know, against the um, advice of, I hope you wouldn't mind me saying, but against the advice of my dad, who thought I was completely nuts and, you know, asked me how many fashion designers do you know that come from here? And I said, none. Yeah. <laughs> and it was true. So I did, yeah. you know, I got on a course at Kingston University in Surrey at the time, I think it still is in the top three fashion schools in the country. So I wanted to go somewhere really good. And I got in somewhere really good. And I had three years there where, I mean, it was really hard. I didn't enjoy it much, actually, if I'm honest. I didn't enjoy university much at all, but I learned a lot. It was very hard work. We didn't have one of those courses where you could kind of float into a lecture and disappear off for the afternoon. We were in nine till five every single day we were taught every single day for every hour and it the idea was Mm. that you know they they had something like a 98 percent success rate of people that got placed in jobs after they graduated so Mm -hmm. there were high expectations and it but it was a good grounding and good training for going into the fashion industry which is notoriously competitive um so I I studied fashion design I realized in my second year that I wasn't the most kind of I was never going to stand out as my women's wear design looked like a few other people in my class. You know, if, if push came to shove, was I really going to get a job because I was going to be up against these sort of four or five same people that had work that looked pretty similar to mine and theirs probably was a little bit better. So I switched. It was very sort of strategic and switched to menswear because there were only two people studying menswear in my year. So I thought, well, there's probably going to be more than three menswear jobs out there. Switched to menswear and that was actually a really good thing to do because I did get a job in menswear. Um, When I got to my final year at university in the Easter holidays, I decided, a friend of mine and I decided to spend our grant money in the days when you used to get a grant from the government. Um, We spend our grant money on flights to New York. And so we got on a plane and went out there and met with a recruitment agent out there who put us in front of an employer. I think the second day we were there and we both got jobs. So we both got design assistant jobs with visas. So we just had to come back and complete our degrees and um, they paid for us to go back out to the States, which those kind of things just don't happen anymore. We're living in different Mm -hmm. sort of political times now. So it was a really, it was just a window where that was a possibility. So my Mm -hmm. first job was actually as a fashion designer, men's fashion designer in New York City, which, you know. I'd only been there once on this trip to get the job. I'd never been there before. Mm I'd never been to America before. I think it was only the third flight I'd ever taken in my life. So I wasn't very worldly wide. I think there's still the little sort of person from the village was still very much alive and kicking in in me rather than someone Mm -hmm. who was uh, prepared to go and live on their own in New York City. But um, I loved it, absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. Lived in a a women's hostel, women's working hostel with um, Mm -hmm. I think about two or 300 other women from all over the world. It was just the best time, lots of fun, yeah. um, lots of hard work as well. But yeah. I had learned about the world of trend forecasting whilst I was at mm-hmm. university. But I'd been told there were about 200 jobs worldwide. So and and that they were they're not going to give one of those jobs to a graduate. So I was ter- told to, you know, go and learn your craft, go and be a designer and keep mm-hmm. your eyes peeled for these opportunities that might come up. And it was years later, really, that eventually a job was advertised as a trend forecaster back in London. And, um, it was a bit above my pay grade and my experience level, but I went for it anyway because there was, it was so rare and I got the job Mm -hmm. and spent, I think about three Mm -hmm. years, um, being a a trend forecaster there for, for the menswear industry and traveled the world went to, we Mm -hmm. had clients in South Africa and Poland and the States. I was in New York, you know, four times a year in South Africa, three Mm -hmm. or four times a year, um, you know, really saw the world. It was, I mean, it was heavy going. It was, it was a lot of travel but I really loved it. I knew that I'd found part of my part of my creativity, my curiosity that I mentioned at the start, just really dovetailed into being a trend forecaster. It it was a little bit yeah. of a science, it was a little bit of an art, it was creative. Um, you know, it yeah, it it really sort of fit really well. And so when I, I left that agency in London and decided to move back to the Northeast, um, I really had wanted to move back to the Northeast for a while. Actually, I think I don't really know why, other than home was calling. I wanted to come back. Um, So I moved back and again against probably the advice of a lot of my peers in London who said, if you're going to be a trend forecaster, you know, you need to be in New York or Amsterdam, Paris or London, not Newcastle. It was pre-teams calls. You know, you couldn't kind of do Mm. any sort of remote work then. Um, So it it was not really... I knew that it was it was quite risky, but it did pay off. I had to travel quite a lot to start off with. And it was really hard. Yeah. I spent, I think, the first eight months with no income at all, no work at all. I was pitching all the time, and not not nobody was saying yes, and I didn't really know why. It took me a long time to understand the difference between being a good practitioner, a good technician of your role, and selling and marketing, which are two very different things. So... Yeah, that was kind of my journey into the world of trend forecasting. And I eventually set up Trend Bible really just with the aim of working independently. I wanted to work in my spare bedroom and listen to the radio all day long. And I I sort of, I just couldn't bear to walk away from some of the opportunities. Once the work eventually did start to roll in, I just had too much work for one person to do. And so I didn't want to leave that business on the table, and that was reason enough for me to want to employ my my first employee, which I found really terrifying. And we're sort of twenty three full timers, strong now with lots yeah. of freelancers and trend scouts all over the world. So I got over that um, fear at some point. But that was that was the point when I realised it, it. It's a choice, isn't it, between do I want to stay as one individual person? Yeah. Or am I turning this into a business? A, there's a real a fork in the road at that point, where you have to decide what yes. it is that you're up for. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was that was that was the decision at that point to kind of build. But I, again, I didn't really think it would ever get beyond maybe two or three or five people. And the more that you grow, the more that you hit some of those. Um, Milestones. You once you hit five, you think, well, probably we could get big enough to get to ten. And actually, now I can kind of see what a fifteen-person agency might look like. And you start to surround yourself with people who who are that little step ahead of you, so that you can prove to yourself it's tangible. You can see other people are doing it, so there's no
0: real reason why you can't. No, no. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, you've done phenomenal, and you are an absolute inspirational and role model. looking back now so so from where you started to where you are people always you always hear this because of the Simon Sinek thing about what is your why what is your why but you know what does drive you now so so looking at where you are now yeah what you've achieved you've achieved so much there's another phase coming what is it that's driving you to the next phase well um
1: my 50th birthday which is in three years is I think mm-hmm. age can be something really useful actually it can be a useful marker to kind yeah. of ask yourself whether you're doing everything you want to do in life not necessarily whether you've achieved everything you want to achieve in your career but what what do you what did you want to do are you doing the things that you set out to do and I'm I'm pretty as you can imagine as a trend forecast I'm always thinking about the future mm-hmm. anyways of course I'm planning my life all the time and thinking about you know I had a a 10-year plan in which I said I want to write a book and I want to to develop a different stance as a thought leader rather than a trend forecasting practitioner going into businesses and delivering trend forecasting, which I haven't been doing that for quite a lot of years now. You know, my team do that. Mm. I've trained them to do that, but I run the business. I'm a managing director. So yeah. my sort of um, role as a trend forecaster has really changed, but I have a lot of knowledge that I would like to get mm. down. I just want to get it down. I want to share it. And even though I work with, you know, $100 billion brands are typically what we work with globally. And some of yes. them, well, all of them do amazing things. They use trends in incredible ways. And we help them do that. But no one company does everything right. And so yes. I felt that I needed to sort of, I wanted to really share the best practice that I'm seeing across the board in yeah. all of these $100 billion brands. So that that's kind of shaping where I'm headed hmm. in terms of what I want to do at Trend Bible and what I, how I want to spend my time. So mm-hmm. I'm writing a book about that and starting to capture things like um, models that I've created over the years where, you know, I might scribble it down on a piece of paper to show some of my team how to think through something. But actually I've realized that those are really valuable, trademarkable, uh, registrable tools that I've invented yeah. because because I've been working with these really high profile, huge brands over the years. So that's yes. it's a really nice um, way to kind of still be a trend forecaster, but not be actively delivering work to clients. So I think that and, yeah. and all of that's and come it, about from my 50th birthday, sort of being in sight now and thinking about, well, am I, am yes. I done as a trend forecaster? Is my technical profession finished and I'm, I'm just running a business now? Um, mm-hmm. That's where those thoughts came from was to, to shape up this sort of, like you said, a next phase
0: yeah and it is interesting isn't it about you like looking at through the decades of how 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 our lives change and how our motivations change and 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 how you know as i say what our, how our why's change all the way through the decades and i do think that 50 you know i'm 51 52 this year and i do think that is a, a quite a pivotal moment because you know it's, it's a bit of a wake up call because even still in your 40s you're still pretty young and you still think you've got to, because you have. I mean, I, I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Gary Vee, but he did a fantastic uh, video out there the other day all about age. And it was about, you know, I, I can't remember what age he was using, but let's say it was 50. And he was saying, you know, you could live another 50 years. You might live because of the way that we are living now through better health care, through, through better nutrition, you know, being more aware Of our well-being, that it's very possible that in midlife you could live that life again. Yes. So how important it is to to shape that future using the the lessons the lessons that you've learned, and uh, and I do think that people are are really getting to that midlife point now and thinking, right, okay, I need to I need to sort this out. I need to to be sure. And if they aren't, they should be because yeah. i think it's vitally important to it's amazing how many female founders i'm sort of jumping from a tangent here but how many female founders i meet and how many ceos i meet and i say to them so what's your exit strategy what's the plan what are you going to do are you going to are, are you are you going to are you on track are you going to you know is is your exit going to fund you through your retirement um you know is your business making enough to to sell it, are you going to, you know, are you, are you looking to sell it? Are you looking to put somebody in? And if you're looking to put somebody in and and, and, and still be there on the board, who's going to be your number two? Are you are you prepping them? Have you got a number two in your sights? And they sit there and actually many of them are so busy in the doing, you know, what I was talking about before about the juggle and the being the someones and, and forgetting there is someone. Yeah. That they haven't actually considered what's going to happen. And if you yeah. look at it, if you think, well, okay, I want to retire at 55 or I want to retire at 60 and you're 50 now, you've seen how fast those years you've been in business have, have gone by. It's so, so important. Tame. So that anybody listening, I want you to really take this on board that those latter years seem to go so quick. This is the time now to be focusing on that strategy for growth and that exit. Or you know, yeah. and 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 shaping up and designing that future, because exactly. you know time just goes so fast.
1: I think you're so right. There's a book that I read called The One Hundred Year Life, and it's exactly the same as what you, you mentioned with the Gary V. Um, uh, feature. You know, if, if I mean, mm. let's let's hope that given the things that can come along in life and knock you off course, but you know, if you if you make that yes. assumption that we technically know we know enough about what it takes Mm. uh, to live a 100-year life. We know the parts of the world that are sort of blue zones where people have certain diets and certain cultures and certain lifestyles and ways of living and ways of handling stress that allow them to live a long and healthy life. And we know know about exercise and diet that should allow us to do that. But I think we haven't quite caught up with the idea that, like you've said, if that means living another 50 years, how much of that is going to be in, in... Good quality health. Um, mm. What does it mean when you take the elements of your um, of what you love about your job out of a paid career? Like, what can you do with mm. the bits that you loved if you're not in a business? And I think that can be some of the yeah. difficult stuff to answer for founders. Is if this isn't business focused, um, what what have I got? What have I actually got here yeah. that I that I love to do?
0: So there could be many other women next generation even who are um who are sort of sitting there thinking god i just feel so stuck but i want a bit of this you know i want to change my life i want to i want to make those latter years count if you were paying forward some advice to anyone who is sat at a crossroads and feeling stuck what would you suggest that they should do to to turn their life around
1: well i think it can be quite you can you can allow that to become this enormous question can't you like what am i going to do you know i don't know where to go you can because of the enormity of it and the the pressure to pick a good option i think my advice would always be just look for a tiny glimmer look for the smallest smallest thing you know um look for something that you really love get into the granular detail of why you love that thing And just start really small, like take the pressure away by building from something teeny, teeny tiny. Um, One of the best bits of business advice I was ever given was to go as narrow as you dare. And that's why I ended up running a trend forecasting agency in the world of home interiors when everyone else runs trend forecasting agencies that focus on fashion because the bit that I loved and the tiniest thing I could think of was decor and home and um, it was Mm. frightening to go that narrow because I could tell that nobody else had but actually it's ended up being Mm. completely our jewel in the crown and it's given us so much differentiation in a busy marketplace that we just stand for one thing and we only focus on one thing so Mm. the other thing that's linked to that that I always say to people is you know when you're starting out on any new direction in life whether it's business Whether it's personal, you're starting to sort of build your raft, and you've just got to have Mm -hmm. that first log. That's all you need. You don't need all of the tools and equipment laid out. You know, you don't need to be in your best brain space with your shiny new notebook ready to go. You know, that's that's for another day. That will come. That'll come when you've actually got it all together and you've figured it out. But you just need the nugget. You just need the little bit where you go. I know. I love that. I know that that means something to me. And I'm going to dig into that. I'm going to find out why it means something to me. And I'm going to build from that tiny nugget a a narrative, a story, some goals, some ambitions, some thoughts. I'm going to build a network around that. I'm going to find other people who love it. Um, So that would be my advice, because I think it can be generally when you're in that position where you're at a crossroads, a lot's happened. And it's an overwhelming place to be. So you need to take it right back to, to just the teeniest, tiniest fragment and have faith in that really believe in in your passion for that thing and it will Mm -hmm. it will allow you'll pull the thread of it and it'll take you on a journey as to it's you know it'll take you on a journey where the journey that it thinks you need to go on and that's sometimes better than trying to force things to happen when you're at a crossroads because it can be a difficult time to make decisions when you're you're not sure of where you want to go or what you
0: want to do no, it can be very difficult. And I think the thing is sometimes you're so forced on feeling stuck and looking for what you do want that you, you just can't get that clarity. And sometimes it's a lot easier to think about what you don't like and strip out all the things that uh, that aren't serving you, all the things that are draining on your energy and by being really raw and honest about it and getting it down on paper. And then when you've got that space from getting rid of all the things you don't like, it's, it's it is it is to feel... And you can feel the energy shift when you talk about something you're passionate about. You know, you talk about your trend forecasting or you talk about your kids or your family. We're passionate, you know, it's passion, isn't it? And that energy lifts and that energy, you know, gets across to other people and then they feel that energy. So if you're not living your purpose, if you're not living your passion and you don't truly believe in it, well, how's anybody else? So I think to find your own way, it's to. It's about being honest and raw, isn't it? About yeah. you,
1: know. you know, people in my industry couldn't even see why I was making the choices that I was making. And they were people who really understood the yeah. trend forecasting industry. And they didn't know why I would move to Newcastle or why I would try and set up on my own. Um, so there are always going to be people who just don't get it. And usually those yeah. people actually have your best interests at heart. They're usually trying to keep you safe. They're usually trying to get you to yeah. do something that feels safe for them. But actually, you can take on board and you can listen to their advice. But I think it's really important to just recognize that if that might be coming from somewhere that's really different to where your head is at. You might want to be doing something that's right. that is, is different and that nobody understands yet. But um, it'll become clear to them in time or not, as the case may be. There are so many yeah. of my close friends that have got no clue what it is I do for a living. They just don't understand yeah. it. Um, so and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't impede our friendship or our ability to have good quality conversations and time together at all uh so so people understanding what you want to do isn't the be all and end all no i totally agree i totally
0: agree i don't even think my mum and dad know what i do not now. Don't not now I think when I did when I had just the wedding and event business and I was just doing that it was easy because it was visual they could see me styling weddings designing weddings so I was like oh yeah my daughter does that but what actually is she doing with her mentoring and her coaching and her book writing and a bloody podcasting I don't even think I just think they think I come in here and sit in here and share the office with the dogs for the day I really do I don't think they've got a bloody clue I think if someone asked them know, what but- she did I think they'd go I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It's like what you say, it just doesn't matter. As long as it sets your heart on fire, your soul on fire, you're living your purpose, you're not wasting time. It doesn't matter what other people think, does it? As long as it's delivering it for you. So, as I knew I would, I've thoroughly enjoyed, as I do all the time we spend together, Um, our chat. chat Thank you. Oh, thank you for giving your time to to me and to my listeners on Formidable Over 40. Can you share with us where our listeners can find out more about you? Where can they go to find out more about Trend Bible?
1: Yes, well, if they're interested in trend forecasting, the best place to head is our website, which is trendbible.com. And I have my own personal blog on there as well. So I write about topics of the day that are of interest and help people understand what the future of that topic might be. So if if anyone's interested in what the trends actually are that's a good place to to go and we've got a, a a level of our we've got a subscription platform we've got something that we call the basics level where actually you can subscribe for free and get some trend information on there if you want to try out and have a look at some trend information um i'm very active yeah. on linkedin i'm always on linkedin if anybody wants to connect with me on there and ask any questions more than happy yeah. and i've also got on instagram it's just an instagram community really and it's really in its early stages but I have uh-huh. a handle there which is called the female scale up where I just talk about all the uh-huh. joys and tribulations of being a female founder and scaling a business from startup to scale up so it's a really nice place just to sort of share the raw realities of of the things that we've talked about today really and it's a nice community of people from florists to illustrators and you know people that run all sorts of different businesses who put you know have really good conversations on there so that's the female scale up which is another good place to connect
0: absolutely fantastic well thank you for listening to the formidable over 40 podcast thank you so much to the brilliant joe for joining us and sharing her insights head to the show notes to find links to connect with joe and find out more about her wonderful work follow the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and please do share formidable over 40 with anyone you think will enjoy it or needs it please do rate and subscribe thank you